Welcome in to the Inside Slant here on the Sports Objective. I am Dave Richmond and Bubba Rosenbaum. You've uh, outdone yourself again. Our uh, look at college football, our preview, and a lot of great games around the nation. Bubba, very excited to have this beat writer. He's been with us the last couple of years since pretty much the, I think we were a, a handful of months old, uh, and we had this guy on for the first time, and uh, he, he keeps coming back. So hopefully we're doing something right, Bubba. Yeah, Dave, looking forward to uh, previewing week 12 of college football. Um, one of the huge matchups tomorrow uh, taking place in Raleigh at Carter-Finley Stadium as you have the number 21 Liberty Flames taking on NC State. And right now to preview that, welcome back in from the news in advance in Lynchburg, Damian Sordelet. Damian, how are you? I'm well, Bubba, Dave. Thank you guys for having me on again. It's always a blast when uh, we get to talk some football. You better believe it. You were, we were talking pre-show with you in Virginia and North Carolina. Bubba and I always, even though he's in the western part and I'm the eastern part, we always joke that we have so much in common that we'd be hanging and our kids would be hanging out a lot too because of us. But if uh, if I live closer, he and I would be going to uh, high school football games on probably Friday night and going to uh, college football on Saturdays. And I tell you what, man, that game uh, and Raleigh tomorrow is going to be a huge game. And I know that I think Bubba just said it's a uh, NC State is a four point favorite, and I guess being home and still ACC school, uh, you guys are ranked. But you know what, uh, Damien, I I like that. I, if I'm a if I'm Hugh Freeze, I'm using that big time. They don't respect us uh, like Rodney Dangerfield, the old line. He used to have the old comedian and actor. We get no respect. I mean, you know, I would be putting bulletin board stuff. I'd much rather do that than to have them, you know, have uh, them be. The, the hunted they're the hunters this year and boy they're looking so good is eight no right now yeah eight no best start in school history uh the previous best was six and oh so they've uh gone gone ahead and taken care of that and you know they were what a 14 19 point dog against virginia tech and that was as a ranked team against an unranked virginia tech team and you know they really thrived on on that you know sort of the disrespect of oh you're ranked but you know we still think you're not the better team in this matchup so you know i'm sure they're happy to see that they're an underdog to nc state just adds another chip to an already big chip on the shoulder of this liberty team that's playing with a lot of confidence a lot of motivation and uh, they're out to prove that they they belong in the top 25 when you know you have all the doubters saying week schedule and whatnot that you know they can go out and prove that you know they belong uh, on the stage and with this coach coaching staff that is uh really proven that, you know, when you bring in a caliber of a huge freeze and add the assistance that he's had, that you can have success almost immediately. You have nice facilities. We talk to you about that every single time um, because you guys are the blueprint, in my opinion, for a team like in East Carolina. Uh, facilities is something we need to, we're not going to get into that soapbox or uh, that's a whole nother show, as they say, but you guys are a blueprint. Doesn't matter that you're a private school. You guys are proof that if you put it out there, you build stuff, uh, then uh, hate to sell like build of dreams. They will come. You have few freeze, lots of great assistance. You're getting recruiting. I imagine you follow that, Damien. I, I would imagine that recruiting is a lot better right now too. Oh yeah, I mean uh, their most recent commit was a um, defensive tackle out of Georgia named Christian Zachary. Um, uh, he was on the ESPN 300 at like number 271, I believe. Four star prospect there, 247 sports composite rating. Has him at a three-star, and right now he would be the highest-rated recruit in program history because he spurned offers from Alabama, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Tennessee, um, 
add in another 20 some power fives, another uh, dozen uh, FBS offers. And he chose Liberty because it fit his lifestyle. And I think that's something that Liberty is now seeing uh, the fruits of moving up to FBS is now they're able to get in some doors that they previously weren't able to get into. And coupled with the success that Liberty's had this year, eight and five this year, they were eight and or sorry, eight no this year, eight and five last year with a curable victory. Um, and then you factor in, you know, Hugh Freeze and that staff, you know, you're it's a selling point. You don't even have to get kids on campus now. It's a selling point that you have a ranked team. Um, that you know you can sell you don't have to sell the hundred million dollars worth of upgrades to the football facilities um now you can just sell the on-field product and that's been a big key for you know where they are right now in the recruiting class and who they've gotten and the types of athletes they've been able to get who also fit the mold of liberty's mission and that's been a big key for them um you know building and getting some character guys that can play at a very high level and uh, obviously, uh, uh, Damian Bubba is uh, X and O's guys. So we're going to get into the the game in just a minute with uh, Liberty traveling to Raleigh uh, tomorrow to take on NC State, Dave Doran and company. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about is I'm hearing, and it may not be true, but uh, obviously South Carolina fans are bringing up uh, Hugh's na- uh, Hugh Freeze's name since Will Muschamp was fired um, a few days ago. Uh, what are you hearing? Is is uh, Hugh Freeze? Would he really go to South Carolina? You know, the the chatter I've heard is no. Um, he is very happy at Liberty. Uh, the recent contract extension puts him around the three million dollar range a year, um, which would make him roughly the number three, number four highest paid Group of Five coach out there. And you have to figure in Dana Holgerson from Houston, Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. They you know they make significant money because they are programs that are well established. Uh, but Liberty is willing to make the investment in Hugh Freeze because they believe he can lead them to national prominence. We're already seeing that this year. And if you give them, you know, a few more recruiting classes, you know, he could have them on the doorstep of where a BYU is, maybe Notre Dame. That's where they want to be. And um, you know, I think, you know, he's happy the mission of the university um, the social aspect, the uh, you know spiritual aspect, everything it fits him and it fits his family, and his all his three of his daughters are school there. Uh, two of them transferred, uh, one transferred from Ole Miss, one transferred from Auburn. Um, you know his wife is very happy in Lynchburg, and right now I think if you have a happy wife who likes where she is, you have a happy life because then you're happy as well. So um, I think all of that has to play into it. He's not in one of those SEC programs where it's just, you have these rivalries, you butt heads, you hear fans all the time. Um, you know, it gets really intense. He's in an environment where Liberty, it's a family environment. Uh, it's somewhere where he can thrive, his family can thrive. And I think that's a reason why I see him staying at Liberty um, because there's the resources there that, you know, Liberty can be a national power down the line. And, and you know, I didn't think I'd be saying that, you know, this time, you know, look back 2018, I didn't think I'd be saying that. Uh, but I think Hugh Freeze in less than two years has really done that and put this program in a position where it can be a national power. And that's where I think this vision is that, you know, he, he stays there. You know, he can make this a really good program and at a university that fits who he is to the core. You know, Damien, uh, another thing about that is when you look at, 
if you look at two jobs uh, that come to mind, Will Muschamp at South Carolina, he gets fired. And I'll tell you another one that uh, I think it's going to be the end of the year, and I hate to say it because I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, it just hasn't worked out like we thought it would with Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. Um, two jobs that, I mean, Michigan's a bigger job, I think, than South Carolina. But what I'm talking about, they both have in common. That fan base expects to win. They expect to win right now. Uh, you know, South Carolina wants to beat Clemson, which you obviously understand why it's a rival game. Michigan wants to beat Ohio State. And when they've lost a number of times in a row, both of them have, you start to ask yourself, all right, is it a better job? And people may think I'm crazy for saying this because you don't think of Liberty with that brand name as our old coach, Coach Logan in the 90s used to talk about. But let me tell you, if, if I can make $3 million and I have my team in the top 25, I'm building a program. I've got great recruiting, great coaching staff great facilities. My wife is happy. My daughters are going to school there. Why in the world would I go to South Carolina or even Michigan where every week they're going to have websites and message boards and everything ready to fire you? Exactly. And there's an, here's another thing to focus on when you're talking about rumors and Hugh Freeze and openings. He's only coached in the South. So that's where his recruiting footprint is. His recruiting footprint is, is Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, up the East Coast. That's where Liberty is recruiting right now. And he's had success in the Georgia area, been able to get a lot of good recruits out of there. Uh, he's plucked some people, plucked some really good recruits out of Pennsylvania as well. That's his recruiting base. If you link him to jobs, say Michigan, Texas, USC, that's not his recruiting area. And right. he would have to go to different recruiting areas now to win because you're expected to recruit Texas if you're there. You're expected to recruit the best kids in California if you're out at USC or UCLA or even Cal. Um, in Michigan, you have to beat Michigan State in the recruiting battle there. Um, he doesn't have any ties there to those recruiting areas, which is why it makes sense for him when he took the job at Liberty. That's still in his recruiting footprint. You can recruit down in the South and bring kids up to Virginia. It's not that far of a drive, less than you know, most drives to Alabama, Mississippi, 15 hours at the most. That's easily doable. And that's a recruiting pitch because you're close by. That fits into his recruiting background. And I think that's something that gets lost in all this talk is, you know, his recruiting and where he's coached. When you go to Lambeth, Arkansas State, Ole Miss, he has been in the South. Virginia, kind of borderline South, but that's where his recruiting center is. And that's why I don't think, you know, if you hear his name rumored in Michigan and others, I don't think that lines up. And I still think, you know, he's happier at Liberty versus going to, say, South Carolina or somewhere like that. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Um, when you hear these openings come up and his name pop up, you think, where is his recruiting base? Is? And he just doesn't fit into those other places as well as he would in a place in the South. And then uh, Bubba, by the way, I know you got to chime in. I want to add one more thing. And Bubba's we're going to switch gears to talk about. Wait a minute, a football game. Another thing is, you told me that the buyout for uh, you look at the buyout. Let, let's look at the buyout for freeze is around say roughly ten million dollars, right? Yeah. Then you just yeah, had a buyout. Yeah. So that's for freeze. If you're South Carolina, you go after freeze. You have to pay around four. I think it was Bubba. Help me out numbers wise. You guys, thirteen, fourteen million for. Must champ to be bought out. Plus, is they owe the coaching staff, and then you'd have ten million dollars for to pay out the buyout at Liberty for um, 
for Hugh Freeze. I just don't see how they can come up with 25, uh, 27 million at South Carolina. And no disrespect. I'm not anti-South Carolina. I'm just saying that's a lot of cash. Yeah, it's a cash, lot of cash even in the for pandemic. Them. It's a lot of cash in the pandemic, too. And you don't have a lot of – there's not a lot of extra pennies floating around. That's for sure. That's what's going to make it interesting is, you know, who do you go after where the buyout is not extreme or you get someone in the final year of a contract where you can get them at cheap. Um, that's going to be something to keep an eye on because, you know, the big deal with extending freeze again was – as a source put it to me, that buyout is now significant. And, you know, I've heard it's eight figures. Um, so I'd say 10 million or up. So now you're looking at, you know, SEC type buyout money. And I think that's something where, you know, Liberty was thinking, we got to make sure we have freeze taken care of. So that way, if someone does buy them out, we now have the money to go get a new coach that is at the caliber of a Hugh Freeze. And, um, you know, in the pandemic where you're losing money because the ticket sales are down, um, you don't have concessions, uh, anything like that, you know, money gets tight. And I don't know if anyone is out there able to afford all that, uh, you know, while we have a pandemic and we don't know when this is going to end. Damien, taking a look at this matchup between the 8 no. 21st ranked Flames and then the five and three Wolfpack. Uh, this is the third opponent, of course, in, in the ACC that um, the Flames have faced this year. Um, two and oh, obviously, thus far, as Liberty is undefeated. But um, one of the things that's impressive to me uh, with, with that Liberty offense is so well balanced. They went to the Carrier Dome, and yes, Syracuse has struggled defensively, but Liberty went in there and ran for what right at 340 yards, and they went to Blacksburg, even more impressive. And yes, it's not a traditional Virginia Tech defense, but they, they ran for 250 yards. Uh, so, so just talk about how you see Malik Willis uh, faring against the NC State defense, and NC State defense that has allowed over 40 points four times this season already. And um, De'Eric King just absolutely torched him um, here recently, um, throwing for over 400 yards and also running for over 100 yards. Yeah, you look at Malik Willis has shown that he can run and throw the ball this year, but I want to go back to two of the losses that NC State has had this year, and it's against Virginia Tech and North Carolina. Both teams were able to run the ball very effectively against the Wolfpack this year, and Liberty, um, in like you mentioned, in the three games so far that they've played on the road, and I'm going to lump in Western Kentucky in there, uh, Liberty's averaging like 317 rushing yards. Um, and like you said, 338 against Syracuse, 249 against Virginia Tech. Um, that just shows that, you know, when they go on the road, they can run the ball. And that's been a recipe for them this year. And that's something that, you know, NC State has struggled to do this year. And we saw against Miami, uh, King was able to, you know, not only to throw the ball well, but he was able to run it and then get his backs involved as well. And I think that's something that, you know, Liberty has studied that they can, you know, have a success against them. Uh, you're looking at an offensive line with four players who were recruited at the FCS level that have played with massive chips on their shoulder this year because they've been told they can't do it, that they shouldn't be able to have success. So they've uh, really bought into that and are you know, excelling right now. And uh, I think having Joshua Mack healthy is big. Uh, he didn't get to play against Syracuse because of the infection in his right elbow, but he had 90 yards rushing against Virginia Tech. And uh, 19 carries, which is very efficient, you know, 4.5 yards a pop. 
so I think you, if you have him run the ball well, and then you you know, mix in some Malik Willis runs and you know get some one-on-one opportunities throwing the ball, Liberty's going to move it. And you know when you have a team that's averaging 40 points a game, 38 against the two ACC teams, and averaging nearly 500 yards of offense against the two ACC teams this year, you know that brings up a possibility that Liberty has a chance in this one because they've had success against ACC teams and uh, they've proven they're not scared to go in there and play with them. That's what I was going to say, uh, Damian. The very fact that I'm excited about is that um, I'm always looking for an underdog. You guys, I don't think, uh, I told you before pre-show meeting, I don't think that you guys are a secret anymore. Uh, I knew when when we were looking for a coach, uh, Bubba, uh, Bubba and Kyle and I were talking off air, and I'll never forget, Kyle said, would you take uh, Hugh Freeze? And I said, well, you know, we love Mike Houston. We have nothing against Hugh Freeze. But Hugh Freeze, if, if they hire Hugh Freeze, that's a that's a really big get for the program if we can't get Mike Houston, you know. Um, obviously, we're very happy who we have, and we're very happy for Liberty with uh, Hugh Freeze. But I'll tell you one thing. Um, if if you freeze were able to stay there for a few more years, man, you guys, I mean, just to think that you've already beat two ACC schools, um, the Wolfpack, you know, I'm not saying the Wolfpack is a bad program, but if they take you guys for granted, uh, I don't think they won't. But uh, that would be as amazing. Three ACC schools in a year. And um, I don't if you're Wolfpack fans, don't think Liberty's going to come in there and just lay down for you or they're scared or in awe. Carter Finley is a nice stadium, yes, but they're not going to come in there and just say, oh, wow, we're playing in the big time. We're playing against NC State, you know? Yeah, exactly. And if you look at, you know, in the article that's on newsevent.com, the preview for the game, I talked about how Liberty last year had a t- came close against these power conference teams. You know, they played really well defensively against Syracuse but couldn't muster any points. Um they lost at Rutgers by 10 in a game they had no business losing. Um, they hung around with UVA for a bit before some miscues, had that ball one snowballing in the wrong direction. And then, you know, they were a, a drop pass away from extending the drive and having a chance to tie BYU late in the fourth quarter. They had confidence going into those games, uh, but they didn't get over the hump of winning. They hadn't tasted that. They hadn't experienced what it's like to go on the road and beat one of these really big programs that's been established at the FBS. And I think now that you've seen them, you know, go on the road and handle Syracuse, they've gone on the road and they want a thriller against Virginia Tech. They have confidence. They have confidence they can go in there and win and they have the experience to back up that confidence. And there's, I mean, for all the talent on a team, for all the schematics, all that stuff, you can't undersell confidence. I know that's one of those, you know, quote unquote, traits that you can't really measure and does it really factor into it but for a team like liberty that's still growing absolutely that you factor that in because they've proven that they can go on the road and win these games and you know they they're going to go into the saturday game thinking oh we can go in there we're going to win and there you can't take that's something that you can't really measure and something that i think is something that will really help them tomorrow night yeah, Damian. Sorry, Dave. Uh, just Damien, a very quick, uh, fun story, though. Um, unfortunately, East Carolina fell to Tulane here 
couple weeks ago now, but that was the day that Liberty took down Virginia Tech, and um, we were watching that ball game slash listening to that game in the parking lot after leaving Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, uh, and we were going absolutely nuts uh, just with it with that finish. Uh, with it, first of first of all, just we couldn't believe it when it looked as though Virginia Tech had um, blocked a field goal and, and won the game that way. And then um, with the way things transpired and then that, what, 51-yarder right down the middle? Yeah. Um, I actually heard the whistle on the 59-yard attempt before they snapped it. I'm like, okay, well, it plays dead. And then run it back, and I'm kind of looking around at people in the press box and going, there was a whistle, right? And you see everyone celebrating, and I noticed the officials weren't walking off the field like it was a walk-off. And I'm like, okay, well, it's coming back. Um, but uh, the fact that Liberty had the wherewithal to run a play on fourth and six and pick up eight yards for a first down to set up a little closer. And then for a kid in Alex Barbier, who his backstory, he was at Penn State for two years, had hip surgery, um, you know, actually gave up football for good. Transferred to Liberty because his two older brothers, Joshua and Timothy, were on campus, um, didn't even have an intent to playing football. And then because Alex Probert earlier in February elected to transfer to Iowa State, they called Alex Barbier that, hey, you want to come at least try? And, you know, he did. And lo and behold, he won the kicking job in training camp. And look at him now. I mean, a five foot nine, 225-pound kicker uh, running around like a, you know, a happy kid, you know, after winning this big, like the biggest kick of his career, uh, you just have to know that this kid who went from I given up this game to making a kick within, you know, to keep the Flames undefeated. That was something he'll never forget. And a really interesting story to see, you know, where he's come from and, you know, everything that led up to it. No doubt about it. Uh, unbelievable story there. And obviously, uh, the Flames are one of the hottest stories uh, for 2020 uh, outside, I guess, COVID-19, man, has uh, been the number one right now. But anyway, uh, Damien, we could talk to you all night. Uh, Damien Sorderlet, uh, the news in advance there in Lynchburg. How can people, uh, we were talking pre-show, I'm sure the viewer, uh, listenership rather, uh, or the, uh, I should say the readers have uh, the views there on the website and certainly pick up that newspaper. They've gone up, right? Oh, yeah. Um, we're, we're ecstatic to say, you know, readership has been up at newsadvance.com uh, throughout the year. Um, I'm not sure about newspaper sales because, honestly, I haven't been in the office much uh, because of, you know, COVID restrictions and, you know, being able to work from home. But I know uh, I'm thankful for the readers who uh, click on our website every day and for those who um, I had a lot of people actually comment and ask how they could pick up a copy of uh, the Sunday paper for after uh, Liberty beat Virginia Tech. and I was more than happy to tell them how to do that. And, um, you know, if you go to newsadvance.com, you can find all my work there and uh, find ways to subscribe, whether it be digital or uh, if you want to do the traditional print method. Um, you know, I'm more than happy to bring some more readers, uh, some more views to our site. And I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always a blast. No doubt. In fact, the game's tomorrow night, I believe, 730 on FSN. Morning. Uh, yeah, seven thirty. Uh, it's on a regional sports network. I know here in Virginia, it's on Mid Atlantic Sports Network or Masson, and could be okay. like on a Fox Sports affiliate down yeah. there in, uh, in North Carolina. All right, Damon. Appreciate the visit as always. We'll talk to you again soon, and we're not going to jinx it, but good luck to the Flames tomorrow. I know there are a lot of Pirate fans. There'll be Flames fans tomorrow. 
uh, as the Flames try to knock off NC State tomorrow. And Wally, we'll uh, talk to you again soon, man. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me on. No doubt. Damien Sordelat there. And uh, a good friend of ours, patiently waiting. The patience of Job. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Jeff Allen, Nightline Sports Network. How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm great, Dave. Great to talk to you and Bubba again, as always. A pleasure to be with you. Absolutely. We're very excited, Bubba. I know. Uh, I don't know if you heard us earlier in the show, Jeff, but we have no high school football, so we love the inside slant. You've been generous each time we've uh, reached out to you, Bubba has, that you've come on with us. So thank you again. And I know Bubba got a huge matchup this week for UCF, right? Yeah, 3.30 tomorrow afternoon. Um that high-powered UCF offensive attack going against one of the nation's top defenses and some of some people's opinions, the, the top defense in the nation. Um, but, Jeff, what's your take on tomorrow's showdown there in Orlando? Well, it is definitely a, a clash of uh, two different styles for sure uh, when you got the high-flying UCF offense and the stout defense of Cincinnati. Um, this is going to be uh, uh, quite the matchup, and uh, – It'll be interesting to see which side will uh, will will be able to conquer. Uh, something will have to give, you know. And, and you know the old cliche, you know that uh, you know that we talk about turnovers. Whoever wins a turnover battle, you know, both teams are good at creating turnovers. Cincinnati, obviously, a little more known for that. UCF, their defense not as strong, but they've been opportunistic in getting turnovers uh, during this uh, 2020 season. So uh, that's going to be a key factor. Uh, in the game tomorrow afternoon at the bounce house. No question about it. It's going to be a huge game. And uh, you talk about there a lot of people, uh, you know, UCF and Cincinnati. I mean, that's a marquee matchup in the league. And uh, what are you hearing down there? And uh, you're in that area, uh, obviously, the region. What are you hearing in Orlando? Well, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of uh, excitement uh, in two fashions, you know, it was just two years ago, the college game day came here for the Cincinnati UCF matchup. Uh, And Luke Fickle, matter of fact, has spoke about that quite a bit this week, talking about how the atmosphere was. And they're kind of getting to dodge that this time around because, you know, we're only going to have, you know, 25% uh, capacity for fans. But uh, as far as the fan base goes, you know, this is uh, something that, you know, this is our game. This is our bowl game for now. And this is our opportunity to get back believe it or not, in the championship game picture uh, because Cincinnati still has some games to play. Tulsa still has some games to play. Uh, UCF could uh, get themselves back in the picture by defeating Cincinnati. And this is one of those things. Cincinnati beat us last year uh, on the road, uh, up there rather, in Cincinnati. And, you know, and for all it was worth, you know, as much as they shut down our offense, they only won the game by three points. Now, this year, you know, Cincinnati is not a juggernaut on offense, but they're more of a ground control game. You know, they've gotten better as the season has progressed. Their defense has allowed them to do that. You know, Desmond Ritter is playing some spectacular ball, uh, both running and passing. And, uh, you know, the Knights will definitely have their hands full. You know, it's a defense that, uh, you know, was given up a lot of points uh, through the course of the season. And then after the brush with the law, uh, with the Antoine Collier situation, the, you know, UCF lost several key defensive players. And in those two games since then, they have played their best two defensive games of the year. Now, granted, um, you know, it was Houston and Temple. And Temple was severely undermanned last week. But it's good to get these guys in there and get some meaningful reps before 
taking on Cincinnati as opposed to Cincinnati being like their first game if that situation would have taken place this week. So uh, the young kids have really stepped up, you know, uh, and, and, you know, guys that had been kind of sharing the load have stepped up playing more minutes. Uh, Cam Good on the defensive line has, has really become a factor in, in uh, clogging up the middle. Um, uh, Eric Gilliard has played some great defense. He's be- become a tackling machine in the, in the linebacker spot. Tatum Bethune, another linebacker, has really stepped up. And uh, they got some young kids in the secondary that are there to balling out. So uh, uh, it, it's good that they're on an uptrend defensively going into this game. Yeah, Jeff, you talk about Desmond Ritter, and Desmond Ritter um, obviously has always been able to hurt you with his legs, and he's thrown the ball well at times, but this year his proficiency in the passing game is um, really jumping out. Yeah, and I think you still have to, you know, you need to make Desmond Ritter beat you with his arm. Uh, you're going to have to take it. You're going to have to take away the running game of Cincinnati uh, to to really have a good chance against them. You know, and Cincinnati wants to you know, milk the clock and keep UCS offense off the field, even though, you know, I said defensively, they match up well, you know, and, and one of the things I was uh, talking about this week with uh, various uh, colleagues, you know, Cincinnati kind of invented UCF's kryptonite with that three, three, five. Other teams have used it to success to, you know, uh, Tulsa has certainly used it, uh, you know, and they, and they run that three, three, five a lot. Uh, Temple, tried to some extent last week. They just don't have the personnel to, to execute it the, the way that Cincinnati does. But uh, that is a, going to be a tall order. You know, Josh Heupel's had a year and a little bit more to, you know, to figure out what he's going to do against Cincinnati. Uh, so this will be a, a key moment um, uh, for Josh Heupel. One thing I do want to go going back to that, the little brush with the law situation, you know, I think uh, it was kind of a watershed moment for the Knights in another uh, capacity as well is because, you know, that was a really the first quote unquote troublesome situation we've had uh, in this, uh, in this era of UCF football and people were wondering, you know, was Josh Heupel going to be lenient uh, like our neighbors up in Gainesville have been over the years uh, in, pa- in the past, or was he going to do the stringent thing and kick those players off the team, which he did, which was the right thing to do. Regardless uh, of the talent, uh, you know those guys will end up somewhere and, and contributing to those teams they go to. But it was the right move because they had to they had to have consequences. Now, Jeff, is it status quo there in um, Orlando in terms of attendance? I know you guys have had what about eight or nine thousand. Yeah, so we, yeah, we've been sitting around that twenty twenty five percent mark. Uh, it is st- status quo for that, which you know uh, that's a that's a you know. When the bounce house is full and it is raucous, it is it is as loud and as it is vibrant as any one hundred thousand seat stadium. Uh, so that is a factor that uh, is going to be sorely missed on Saturday. But hopefully the uh, uh, the the nine thousand or so that will be in attendance, uh, you know, that's obviously you know a, a tough ticket to get now. Um, so hopefully that nine thousand can uh, can double up their efforts tomorrow. And I know one of the things that really stands out about the Cincinnati defense, uh, you know, and this is something the East Carolina coaches, uh, Mike Houston and uh, also uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick, offensive coordinator, um, pointed out last week is just their their length in the secondary. Yeah, that is a great point. And, and yeah, when you have guys that can, you know, shut down uh, the, the receivers, that makes it, you know, 
you know, you get more pressure on the quarterback. It just clogs things up and, and really forces teams to be uncomfortable. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, the, it looks like UCF might have Trey Nixon back. He's been out since getting hurt in the Georgia Tech game. Um, and, you know, it's interesting uh, when, when, you, when you look at this season going in, if you would have told a Knights fan that, okay, this season, you know, we knew Gabriel Davis graduated, but if you said, okay, you're not going to have Gabriel Davis or Trey Nixon uh, as your wide receivers going into 2020, most people would have had some concern. But Marlon Williams has uh, certainly stepped up. He has become a beast of a player. Um, in fact, a great play uh, in last week's game when he got hit, and he literally bear crawled for about 15 yards to keep his balance. Uh, and then Jalen Flash Robinson has done a terrific job for the Knights. Uh, the transfer from Oklahoma it has been a, a tremendous uh, deep threat. And then uh, Ryan O'Keefe, young uh, player, has really stepped up, and he's uh, brought something to the passing game. So that's going to be a key matchup. The UCF receivers are going to need to be able to get off the line. And the, the Knights offensive line, which has had protection problems, and some of that surfaced in last week's game against, uh, against Temple. Um, they're going to have to give Dylan Gabriel some opportunity and some time to throw the ball. I would like to see UCF uh, incorporate a little bit of movement in the pocket, get him rolling out. You know, Gabriel did not run last week at all. Um, they're going to need to uh, run some of those uh, read options with him. And they really do need to kind of uh, get him out of the pocket a little bit uh, to kind of help ease some of that pressure that Cincinnati will most certainly bring. And Jeff, I had a question for you is regarding the, uh, we always always talk about the uh, war on I-4, uh, USF, UCF, but it seems like in the last two or three years, what we're talking about, um, I don't know if the word rivalry is the right word for UCF and Cincinnati, but they're two of the best uh, the programs in the league. Um, how do uh, how do the fans treat Cincinnati? Is it a rival game? It's not USF, but how do, how do you guys feel down there? Well, we might even say USF's no no longer a rivalry because you know the story about you know the hammer and the nail. If the hammer if the if, if the hammer always wins, there's no rivalry. Uh, so uh, uh, you know, in South Florida, is definitely you know their program is definitely you know in in bad shape right now. That Jeff Scott's going to have to turn around. But uh, with Cincinnati, they definitely uh, this has definitely become a a rival. Cincinnati basically has taken what was ours in the eyes of Knights fans. And that's, you know, being AAC champs. Now Memphis was a champion last year, but Cincinnati had a lot to do with us not being in that equation last year. Uh, so, you know, the very first time we played Cincinnati under Luke Fickle, when he took over the Bearcats program, we ran them out of the building in three quarters in a range shortened game. Uh, it was, it, it was almost like a mercy rule. And to see what Luke Fickle has done with that program since that time, and what he has done, he's got great, you know, he's got a ton of senior leadership. Uh, and Luke Fickle will certainly be a hot commodity. Uh, Power five teams are going to come knocking for him again. I know Michigan State uh, made the run at him last year. Uh, he's going to get more interest this year. That's for that's for sure. Jeff, as we're wrapping this up, um, what's your gut feel on what's going to take place tomorrow afternoon in Orlando? Boy, that's a, you know, I've gone back and forth on this uh, a bunch of times because you 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 look at Cincinnati, uh, their defense has, uh, you know, they've shut down the likes of SMU and Memphis, teams that can move the football and score. Uh, so they they have that going. But on the other hand, UCF will be the best offense they face this season. So in this battle of contrasts, um, I like the 
think the fact that uh, it's a little homerism pick, but I think the Knights are going to win a close one at home. Uh, I think that, you know, they, they have a lot to prove. And this is a, an opportunity for them. You know, the two losses have kind of been a bit of a, uh, of a down feeling for this season. And a victory over Cincinnati would certainly change the narrative there. So I'm uh, going to pick the Knights in a close one. All right. Uh, that would be a huge shot in the arm. And Orlando there with the, the Knights. Jeff, uh, before we let you go, we want you to plug your work. And as always, uh, appreciate your friendship. Appreciate the visit. And uh, you're, you're always there for us. Thanks, man. Oh, always glad to be there. And of course, uh, I do the AAC report on the Nightline Sports Network. Uh, we also have uh, uh, the Nightline podcast, which is uh, hosted by uh, Andrew Fagley and Roger Phipps. They uh, break down UCF uh, sports each and every week. And uh, we also have a, uh, a, a, a full all-around sports program called Take a Left at Albuquerque with Sam Albuquerque as well. And I host uh, an additional podcast, my very own show called Jeff Allen Sports Talk, Paid the consultant highly for that name, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, and I do a general sports show, but uh, cover a lot of college football as well. So, hope uh, folks will uh, check that out. Uh, mine and the Nightline Sports Network podcast available wherever you uh, get your podcast. And uh, guys, thank you so much for uh, letting me be a part of your show uh, so much. It's uh, it's it's always a uh, always a pleasure, and hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. I listen to you on uh, on Apple Podcasts, so appreciate it very much, man. And we'll uh, talk to you again real soon. All right, guys, you take care and have a good night. All right, so thanks very much, to Jeff Allen. Let's bring in a uh, very patient Ryan Abraham. Uh, join us at USCFootball.com, the twenty four seven sports site. Ryan, thanks so very much uh, for coming in tonight. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Sure thing. Uh, I don't know. We're having some trouble with Bubba. Can you hear him okay with the volume? It was low on my end as well. Yeah, I don't know what, uh, but anyway. Microphone, if that helps. That, that's better. That's better. I uh, wanted to have you on, Ryan. I know, uh, Bubba, there's a big matchup with USC, right? Yep, um, the Trojans, after um, you know finding a way to win the first two weeks, are going to, to Salt Lake City to take on a Utah club. Very talented, but the Utes have been dealing with a lot of COVID issues and playing their first game tomorrow. Um, what's your take, Ryan, on this matchup um, tomorrow in Salt Lake City? Yeah, this will be the third week in a row USC's playing a team that hasn't played a game yet in 2020. So it's kind of lucky for Clay Helton and the Trojans. And, you know, Utah did lose a lot of talent from last year's squad, but they're going to have really good line play. You know that. I think they've got a good stable of running backs. We just don't know. Kyle Whittingham, the head coach for Utah, it's like a state secret whenever you're talking about injuries or anything like that. We don't know who's going to be out for this game. We don't know who the starting quarterback's going to be. So, really, it's a big mystery going into this one. But you know Utah's won the South, the Pac-12 South, the last two years. USC has to go through Utah if they want to try to win. And the Trojans are only one of two teams in the Pac-12 that hadn't had any of their games modified at all. So, they've been pretty lucky so far. They haven't won. The, the home team has won the last seven times these teams have played. So, USC hasn't won in Salt Lake City for a while. So, we'll see what they'll be able to do tomorrow night in Salt Lake. Because it's going to be cold. And they need to get a win if they want to try to win the South. And Ryan, we're going to talk obviously that game, but uh, what about the hot seat there with Coach Helton? Is it getting warmer? Is it hotter? Uh, I know they're doing well so far, but uh, I know how you guys are in LA, even before the two pro teams c come to Los Angeles, you guys for a while there were kind of like the, uh, the a pro sports team. I know they were not a pro football team, but it was kind of like that atmosphere 
there with USC. Uh, how are things there now? Yeah, no, that was when the Pete Carroll era, it really was the professionals, you know, football team. Now you got the Rams and the, and the Chargers. And, but it's been interesting because Clay Helton wasn't really well liked by most of the fans when he was hired. It was sort of looked at as a lazy hire. They just, you know, you gave a, an upgrade to someone that was already on your staff. Here's a promotion uh, to Clay Helton. And they didn't think he was particularly good as an offensive coordinator, but they made him the head coach. He's had some good things happen, you know, winning the Rose Bowl. He's won the Pac-12, but they've not looked good in some of the, the key games. And I think the fans have really turned on him. They're 2-0, and like you mentioned, but they've had to come back. The Arizona State game, they had a 99.9% chance of losing, and it was a miracle comeback after the onside kick and all that. So it's been interesting. This week alone, CBS put out an article about who's on the I hockey saw that. football. Clay Helton yeah. The Dodd Trophy, which is like the number one coach, you know, the top coach in the country, put out their midseason watch list for the best coach in the country. And Clay Helton was on that, too. So I've done, I've done a whole lot of that. But the fans in, the, in general aren't real happy with uh, Clay Helton as a head coach. But, you know, that's where USC is right now. I don't think you're making a change during a pandemic year when the athletic department's having all kinds of budgetary problems. But that's that's kind of been our our life the last several years, just kind of covering the same thing with fans being unhappy. And fans are so uh... – Man, Ryan's fans are so fickle. If this guy wins several uh, games in a row, all of a sudden he's the best coach ever, right? I mean, it's crazy. It is pretty crazy. The problem is this season, you don't really get the kind of test that you could have had in a regular 2020 because USC had Alabama on the schedule. They had Notre Dame on the schedule. I mean, those are top three, four teams right now. You had Oregon on the schedule. They're no longer there. They might play them in the championship game, but that's no longer happening. Um, Washington. So a lot of the tougher games that they had for this 2020 season that a lot of the fans felt like, okay, play well against Alabama, play well against Notre Dame, and then we'll be on your side. Those opportunities are gone now. So Arizona State was a tough game and they got a win there. Lucky. Uh, this weekend, I think it'll be tough with Utah, but there's just not as many tough games on the schedule because it's shortened. They've been lucky they got to play them all so far, but they're not getting those bigger tests that the fans wanted Clay Helton to face in 2020. Now, Ryan, when you think of the Utah Utes uh, under Kyle Whittingham, um, you, you think of defense and you think of uh, um, just a very, very stout defense pretty much annually. Uh, so, obviously, this far for USC, um, the, the Trojans, um, like you said, have struggled in, in ways, but um, they've received – at least from afar, um, seeing very minimal um, other than highlights. Um, it seems, though, um, by the numbers, the quarterback play has been pretty solid. So so what's your take there? Yeah, so we know that uh, Utah is always going to have a tough defense. They have uh, really good special teams, and they've lost a lot of guys. From you know, pack, I think 10 Pac-12, all Pac-12 selections from last year are all gone. Uh, but they always churn out these – you know, tough, physical defensive linemen. And I think that's where the strength for this Utah defense is going to be. It's a really inexperienced secondary. And USC's strength is going to be with their wide receiver core and Keaton Slovis throwing the football. So that's going to be something to watch. It could be interesting, though. If you remember last year, Keaton Slovis was out. You had Matt Fink, their third-string quarterback, was starting. He threw all, all kinds of yards against Utah. And they played, them, they played USC man-to-man -man because they had really good players in the secondary. That didn't work well at all. So I think you have to play USC in a zone. It's most effective when people drop seven, eight guys into coverage. And with an inexperienced Utah secondary, I think they'll be forced to do that, even though that's not normally what they do. So watch that matchup. But also up front, USC's offensive line has been hit or miss. They've you know, not performed very well. 
I think Utah's going to get after Keaton Slovis and, and be able to disrupt him a little bit. So that's where I definitely want to watch on that side of the ball. I think Utah's going to be able to score, but for defensively, um, that inexperienced secondary, but a really good defensive line, which kind of unit wins out. And Ryan, no doubt, it seems like when you have 2-0 with uh, Utah, uh, you would think that they would be better. I guess their backs are against the wall, and then you got a chance if you could somehow beat USC, then uh, that, that turns your season around, right? 100% because when the Pac-12, you have to have at least the one fewer game to win, to win your division, one fewer game than what the average is. Now we're averaging you know, one or two cancels a week now. Um, so I think you know, if they were able to get four games in, they would be eligible to be able to play in the Pac-12 championship and they'd get a chance to go for the third time, you know, third year in a row after never representing the Pac-12 South before. But you got to get this win against USC. I think losing to USC and then going three and one isn't going to do it. So I feel like Utah sees, even though they missed their first two games, there's a path to win the division and win the Pac-12. But it starts with getting a win against USC Saturday night. No question about it. It's going to be uh, interesting. One great thing for you guys that we have being on the East Coast is the very fact that I know Bubba and uh, Kyle, I think they take notos or a lot of caffeine. They they try to watch as many Pac-12 games. I do, man. I'm, uh, I, I, I'll am i see like a game or two, but these guys will stay up to like 3 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock <laughs> in the morning. I think it's kind of a bet each week between the two of them uh, who can watch the most games on the West Coast. But uh, – Anyway, we're kind of lucky, I guess, that we go to our games, cover our games, do our post-game show, and then a lot of times there's uh, games left, and and especially if it's a night game, we definitely are right. We're still ready for some more football, and and you guys are available with the the Pac-12. That was what was weird early on, you know, in the football season. It was great. You turn on the TV, there's an SEC game or whatever, and then later on a Big Ten game. But there wasn't the Pac-12 after dark. It was not, it was missing, and so there were there were guys. You know, you wanted to stay up late and watch college football. There really wasn't any. And USC, the first two games, their first game was 9 a.m. on the West Coast. It was a noon for you guys. So I've never covered a game like that. That was very interesting. And then even last week, it was an early game, a 12:30 game here, 3:30 on the uh, on the East Coast. But this one is going to be, you know, 10:30 p.m. on the East Coast. So this is a little more Pac-12 after dark, kind of what we're used to. But that that 9 a.m. game was definitely interesting. Ryan, before we wrap things up, what's your gut feel? What do you think is going to take place tomorrow in Salt Lake City? There's just so many unknowns with this Utah team. I, I think with the talent they have in coming back, they're going to be pretty good still, but not having played any games yet. We saw Cal last weekend against uh, UCLA just not look very good. I think it's going to take Utah a little while to get rolling. So I'm going to give USC a slight advantage in this one. I think there'll be a bunch of points scored. I think it'll be in the 30s, maybe like a – 37 31 something like that uh for the trojans but i think it'll be fairly close uh utah always plays tough in salt lake city but just i think overcoming not having played a game yet is going to be a, a fairly big disadvantage in this one thank you so much ryan for coming on we appreciate it very much and uh as the season we're glad to have the pac-12 is great and the big 10 uh, playing now and uh, hopefully we can reach back out to you and uh, have you back on the inside slant here on the sports objective Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it very much, Ryan Abraham there. And uh, that's great stuff for him. And obviously, the 24-7 site, uh, you can uh, get him at uscfootball.com, uh, the 24-7 sports site. Of course, our good friend, Stephen Igo. And uh, next up, though, Bubba, big game with uh, Oklahoma State, right? Yeah. Um, 
this year with the craziness of COVID-19, um, a lot of college football's rivalry games are not being played. Uh, fortunately, this one is. Um, Bedlam is taking place tomorrow. And uh, right now to preview that matchup between the Sooners and the Cowboys, welcome in from the Pistols firing blog, Marshall Scott. Marshall, we appreciate your time tonight. Oh, yeah. Thank you guys for having me. No doubt. First of all, I have to ask you is, uh, do Bubba and I have to have a mullet? I mean, to be able to do an interview with you with, with your coach. I mean, uh, I, I need to grow some way more hair or get, maybe I can get a wig, uh, like with a mullet, but, uh, what do you think? Uh, yeah, it, it's a preference, but not a requirement. I think for you guys, uh, I, I can <laughs> do it without. <laughs> uh, I lived during that time and, uh, no offense to coach, but, uh, I, I, no, no mullet for me. Uh, but I tell you one thing, he knows how to coach football, huge game, uh, for obviously the big 12 and, uh, when it's a huge rivalry between these two schools and the great state of Oklahoma, uh, what what's the buzz like there? Uh, what what are you guys feeling going into the to uh, the game tomorrow? Yeah, Oklahoma State fans will always enter Bedlam with a sense of caution. Um, you know, Gundy is two and fifteen, I believe, in the rivalry. So it's just it's a it's a time that's very stressful for for the Oklahoma State community. Um, you know, you kind of hope for the best, but definitely prepare for the worst. Um, this year, you know, you got an Oklahoma team that's kind of ramping up as the season's gone along. They've had some of the easier opponents in the Big 12 in Kansas and Texas Tech. Um, and then Oklahoma State's offense in particular has kind of kind of stalled out a little bit, um, had some injuries along the offensive line. Uh, but, you know, it, if it's if it's best on best tomorrow, it should be a pretty good game. Yeah, taking a look at this matchup, um, these are um, obviously two teams ranked in the top 18. Um, the Cowboys, um, I know early on, and Tulsa, as it's turned out, has been very good defensively. Um, but just talk about how Oklahoma State has come along um, in, in the six ball game or five ball games that they've played since that season opener in which they were um, pretty stagnant offensively against Tulsa. Yeah, that, that Tulsa game, it definitely had um, its fair share of challenges for Oklahoma State. Uh, quarterback Spencer Sanders, he got injured in the first drive, um, tried to play the second drive, and then, then was out for the rest of the game and the, the next few games following. So that was just kind of a, a nightmare of, of sorts. So then they threw true freshman quarterback Shane Ellingworth in, who uh, played well, obviously won the Tulsa game, uh, won the West Virginia game, and then was able to dominate Kansas. But that's not you know saying too incredibly much. And then they get uh, Spencer Sanders back. The offense is kind of clicking a little bit more now. Um, but really just offensive line struggles have kind of been the theme along the offense. Uh, but if they can get that right, they've got, you know, guys like Chuba Hubbard, um, uh, an All-American wide receiver and Tylen Wallace, um, even LD Brown, the, the backup running back, has, has really shown to be a good player this year. You know, when you take a look at this matchup um, for, for Oklahoma, you have um, the very talented young quarterback and Spencer Rattler. Uh, how do you see the Cowboys being able to defense uh, him and um, – than that explosive Sooners offense. Yeah, so uh, as you kind of mentioned, Spencer Rattler, he, he struggled early in games, and you, you saw that obviously with, with Oklahoma's losses. Um, but here as of late, you know, he's kind of showing that, you know, he was the number one uh, quarterback in his recruiting class. So he's kind of kind of slowly been building up. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he can handle – because OSU has had – OSU's usually terrible defensively. Um, that's kind of, you know, just like the, the general mock on the Big 12. But – but this year, Oklahoma State's defense has been really stout. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if if OSU can get pressure on Rattler like like those teams early in the season were able to, um, kind of how he responds to that. Is he going to, you know, throw some costly interceptions? 
uh, what that's going to be like. So, so that will be an interesting thing to track tomorrow for sure. Yeah, you talk about Spencer Rattler. Um, in the first four games, he had, he had thrown five picks, but in the last three, he, he's only thrown one interception. And so that's certainly an area to keep an eye on tomorrow in that matchup. Um, Sooners are, I believe, a seven-point favorite um, in, in Norman at Memorial Stadium. Um, you know, going into this, what do you think is going to have to happen besides maybe something that we've already mentioned, of course, um, in order for the Cowboys uh, to pull off what would be a, a, a mild upset for sure? Yeah. So last year, um, whenever Oklahoma was in Stillwater, uh, the Sooners had incredible game on the ground. Um, I think Ramondre Stevenson, he only got three carries that, that game. He's, he's the featured tailback this season. He only got three carries in that game, but he's averaging like 17 yards a carry. Um, so th they really dominated OSU up front in that game. Um, so th I think that that's going to be the big factor and kind of what determines the game is if, if Oklahoma State's defense in, the, in that front seven, who's been really good this year, um, if they're going to be able to stop in particular that, that guard tackle um, counterplay that, that Oklahoma loves to run. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, where are things in terms of attendance? Um, you know, tomorrow in Norman, uh, how many fans will be able to be uh, there to watch Bedlam? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly sure on um, OU's number. I know that that Oklahoma State, they're getting about like 14,000 in. So I'd imagine it'd be that maybe a little bit more. Um, uh, Gaylord can hold a little bit more fans than Boo Pickett Stadium. So it's going to be, you know, a decent sized crowd. Will it be enough to actually, you know, cause an effect on the game? Um, I guess that's kind of to be determined. Um, but another thing to kind of watch is it, it should be a little – it's not going to snow, I don't think. I don't think it's going to get cold enough to snow, but it's going to it's going to be some some mucky weather um, out there. And OU's got a, a natural grass field, so that'll be kind of interesting to track how that how that holds up. Yeah, that's one of the things um, with um, Oklahoma. I, I know um, up to this point, I think it's about eighteen to 20,000. I think you're correct on that, right there, about 25% or so, um, where, where – I think it probably is enough to impact the game, especially a game like this. But um, sadly enough, nothing like what we would uh, see in a, a normal year. But um, I guess at this point, with so many games having been canceled or postponed uh, over the last two weeks, I believe we're something like 32 or 33 cancellations slash postponements now. I'm just glad this one's being played. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's there's been times where, where things have not looked so great. Um, Oklahoma's state's opener uh, against Tulsa got pushed back a week. They both had a bye week the next week, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, and then that Baylor game has been pushed back to, I believe, December 12th. Um, so that gave Oklahoma State another bye week that they kind of weren't anticipating, and that kind of threw the whole – could throw the whole uh, Big 12 championship game uh, through a loop with them having to push that. They've already pushed that back to the 19th. It was on the 12th. Um, so, so, yeah, you know, you just count your blessings, and you're just glad that they can get this game in. Uh, yeah, Marshall, one of the questions I had was uh, regarding COVID-19 uh, with you guys in the Big 12. You guys were so aggressive. And uh, thank God for the uh, the Big 12, the ACC and the SEC, those three conferences. If not, I'm not sure that we would have a college football season. So uh, for that, it's great to see the big rivalry games and this one in particular. And um, as far as COVID is concerned and injuries, uh, what about tomorrow uh, with uh, – have you heard anything for Oklahoma State? Um, so, yeah, Oklahoma State has been putting out kind of weekly updates uh, regarding their, their COVID situation. They've been at zero, I believe, for five straight uh, weeks. 
Um, now that could have changed. I believe they test Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. So I guess, you know, if something changed either Wednesday or Friday, that could be different, but they were at zero um, through their Sunday tests. Um, for OU, I'm not really sure. Lincoln Riley's he's pretty, he keeps things close to the vest, whether it be injuries or whether it be uh, COVID related stuff. So, so yeah, your guess is as good as mine on that. But I think on the COVID front, uh, Oklahoma State's fine. They do have some injuries. Uh, Colby Harvell Peel, All-American type safety, um, missed the last game, uh, went out in the Texas game with, I believe, a head injury. Um, Tylen Wallace, All-American type receiver, he missed um, that Kansas State game. He came in and played uh, just the just the hands team the, on on an onside kick. Um, but I think that he'll he should be able to go. And then they've just had a lot of guys banged up that I think uh, with the bye week last week that they, they should be um, maybe near full strength. I'm not sure about the offensive line, but but apart from that, kind of near full strength. All right, Marshall, I love your name of your blog, the Pistols Firing Blog. How can people read your work? And uh, thank you so much for coming on and time tonight. Yeah, so uh, you can just, uh, as you said, pistolsfiringblog.com. That's where uh, you can see me and my, my coworkers um, writing. We cover Oklahoma State football, obviously, basketball, baseball, wrestling. Um, it's all on there. Um, and then if, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Marshall underscore once. Marshall, you also have a podcast. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, the uh, the pistols firing podcast. I'm I'm actually not a part of it, but it's a uh, uh, Carson Cunningham, who's a, a news anchor from Oklahoma City. Um, he, he does that with a with a radio guy. But yeah, it's 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 a it's a really great podcast. Uh, it should definitely give that a listen. Um, they've been given good insights on, on this Bedlam game in particular. But yeah, they go about twice a week. All right, Marshall. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it, and uh, look forward to having you back on real soon. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right, Marshall Scott there, Pistols Firing Blog. In fact, uh, that game is tomorrow night. Um, this being Friday night, it's tomorrow night, 7.30 Eastern on ABC. It's going to be number 14, Oklahoma State versus number 18, Oklahoma in Norman. Huge game. And i tell you one thing, Bubba, we had uh, Damian sort of let on earlier. One of the biggest college football stories with the Liberty Flames. And now we've got another big college football story. I think, though, it's been in the making for the last. Uh... Dave, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I lost you for a minute. But, yeah, huge matchup taking place tomorrow night. Uh, or excuse me, not tomorrow night. <laughs> tomorrow at noon at the Horseshoe in Columbus. Um we just talked about a top 20 matchup with Bedlam. Um, you have number nine, the upstart Indiana Hoosiers, um, their highest ranking in more than three decades going into the horseshoe to take on the third rank Ohio State Buckeyes right now to talk about that matchup. Welcome in from the Herald Times in Bloomington covering IU football, Jeremy Price. And Jeremy, we appreciate your time. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And no doubt about it, Jeremy. You know, uh, Tom Allen, I've read where he has – 18 wins. I think that's the most uh, for a coach in IU history. Um, there's an old saying that uh, Dustin Hoffman said it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. This yeah. particular case, uh, that that I just had that. As soon as you came on, I was thinking about that line that uh, Dustin Hoffman had. Uh, this story, I've been following. I know IU as far as uh, basketball with Bobby Knight way back, and you always hear about IU being a basketball school, but I tell you what, he's got uh, he, he has got the Hoosiers playing great football, and to be number nine, it's a great underdog story. I love underdog stories, and here's another one for 2020 uh, with IU. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly been quite a season for Indiana football. Uh, 
you know, you talk about Bobby Knight, I guess it's a, that's a throwback to the eighties a little bit. And yep. this is certainly uh, <laughs> maybe a throwback to the, some of the best seasons for IU football were in the eighties as well. Uh, Cause the, you know, if you start looking at the books, you know, a lot of the things they're doing this year are the first time since 1987, first time since 1988. Uh, some things go back a lot further than that. Another 20 years to 67 actually. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely been a, a, a time warp and, and maybe a, maybe a preview of the future of IU football, at least IU fans hope so. Yeah, I'm mean, taking a look at this IU team. Um, obviously, Penix is a guy that really makes the Hoosiers go. Um, it started um, with a bang, uh, you know, the Penn State game. Uh, I was not able to watch that live, but I was listening to it uh, in the car on my way home. And when I saw the highlights with the way that one unfolded, just just tremendous. And uh, the Hoosiers have only uh, gotten better from there, you know, playing uh, with the bullseye on their chest now. And so just talk about that. Um, obviously, tomorrow they're still going to be the underdog. But just generally speaking, uh, talk about Tom Allen's club and the way they're playing um, – you know, as the, the hunted rather than the hunter. Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, that Penn State game was big for a myriad of reasons. And, and obviously we've seen the way things have gone since then for Penn State, which, you know, I think I attribute a lot of that to the way that game turned out, uh, you know, and the way things have gone for IU is because of the way that game turned out, especially, you know, after you have a two-month delay with the pandemic and everything, uh, that first game kind of, is it's really easy for that to set a tone and sort of, set a direction for where the season goes from there and and to come out and get a win against a team like Penn State that's been such a struggle for IU to get over the hump against I think really gave this team a lot of confidence I think it came in with a lot of confidence obviously going uh eight and four last year you know getting eight wins going to the Gator Bowl uh doing some things that hadn't been done in a while even then and then to build off that this year it's just kind of snowballed forward on and on and uh, obviously the the biggest test is still ahead but uh confidence has been growing for this team and, and I think they've learned uh, you know they've been through some disappointments obviously not being able to beat some of the big boys and obviously that was kind of the criticism last year was great you had eight wins but who did you really beat kind of thing um, letting the, a Gator Bowl game that really they had in their hands in the fourth quarter get away from them and so I think this team feels like it has something to prove in that sense so even when they've been favored in games I think this team is sort of playing with that chip on their shoulder, uh, that something to prove aspect. So no matter who they're playing, they're kind of having that underdog mentality. And, you know, Jeremy, you see this program being built in Bloomington and uh, with IU and uh, over the like, last few seasons. And is this is this a uh, coach that, um, that people, I would think, is now with number nine in the nation um, then maybe he goes to another school or is he happy at IU? I mean, he, here's a guy who I look at it as you have a great conference yeah, and he's building something special there. He's a big fish in a small pond, so to speak. Well, it's sort of interesting because obviously, you know, for Tom Allen, this is his first head coaching job. Uh, you know, at the time he got the job, the, the question was, why is IU taking a guy that's never been a head coach at the college level before? Uh, and now four years later, we're actually going to have that discussion, you know, is, is there the possibility that somebody out there is going to try and poach Tom Allen, uh, for their team? And I, you know, I can't speak for Tom Allen cause I don't know what goes through his mind. I, you know, I don't know how much money is just too much to turn down in certain situations, but I feel like if there's a guy that's going to have success and going to stick with Indiana football, Tom Allen is the kind of guy that's going to do that. I mean, he's from Newcastle, he's from the state of Indiana. Uh, he's coached at the high school level in the state of Indiana. 
all his roots, all his connections, uh, I shouldn't say all of his connections, but a lot of his deepest connections are within the state of Indiana. So, uh, you know, this is definitely home for him. I think it, for him to, to be able to succeed and have success at Indiana is sort of the ideal, the dream job in a lot of ways. That, that doesn't mean there's not something out there. I mean, you know, USC or who, Alabama or whoever wants to come calling. I mean, it'd be hard not to listen to uh, legendary programs like that. But, but outside of that, I think, I think among coaches that Indiana's had, if there was one that was going to have success and stay, I think Tom Allen is probably that guy. Taking a look at tomorrow's matchup, uh, specifically um, a game this, like I said, at, at noon on Fox, um, Justin Fields, Ohio State quarterback this year, uh, he's been about as close to perfect as you can be on just um, video game-like numbers, uh, throwing the ball uh, right around 30 times a game, 11 touchdowns, not a single pick, and uh, completing, you know, uh, well over 80% of his passes. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a great challenge for this Indiana defense, which has really been sort of the key to things. Obviously, the offense gets a lot of the headlines and the attention, and, and Michael Penix is a fantastic quarterback, a difference maker at quarterback. There's no doubt about it. But it's the way this defense has played that's been the difference this year. Uh, you know, they lead the Big Ten in interceptions. They lead the Big Ten in sacks. Uh, quarterback pressures. Uh, so can they do that against a Justin Fields? That's an entirely different matter altogether, uh, obviously. So it's sort of uh, immovable object kind of deal with, with Fields and the Indiana defense is something's got to give between those two things. And we'll, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe nothing gives, maybe Fields goes out and puts up 30 points, but the defense still picks him off twice in the process or something. And we have a, you know, a 34 31 type shootout game so who, who knows how this turns out but i i think it's probably the the best test for both sides in that regard coming up and uh jeremy you follow the the program very close would this be as far as uh coaches uh would this be i hate to use the term signature win like i know that he's done very well in a short period of time in indiana but uh well, this would be a pretty big win right yeah, well, I mean, this is big, the biggest signature win in two weeks, I guess, since they beat Michigan a couple right. of weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, that's just yeah. kind of how this year's gone. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, Ohio State has, has dominated the series and uh, has won, I, I believe it's 24 straight games. Last time Indiana beat Ohio State was 1987. Um, so very similar numbers to the situation against Michigan. Uh, there, but with the ranking that Ohio State has and the the stature that that team, that program has right now, I mean, let's face it, right now, Ohio State doesn't lose games, period. I mean, if they do, it's the college football playoff. That's, you know, they don't, pretty much don't lose regular season games these days. So, in, in that aspect, it would definitely be a huge, huge win, and, and obviously it doesn't guarantee IU anything, so you can't say it's like the biggest win since the win that sent them to the Rose Bowl uh, in the 60s, but it it certainly would be up there. Now, you talk about the last win uh, over the Buckeyes being in 87. Was that in Bloomington? Uh, when, when was the last time that they that they won at the Horseshoe? Uh, that's been a little bit longer, I believe, as a matter of fact. Uh, I don't have that right in front of me, but, um, yeah, it's been – let's see if I've got those stats I was looking at. I was looking at some uh, numbers that my colleague uh, John Blau put together earlier today. Um, uh, 
actually, I looked it up on Wikipedia right quick. Um, in 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 '87, um, that win was in Columbus, and then the following year, um, Indiana won 41 to seven in Bloomington. And so, so back to back wins over the over the Buckeyes in '87 and '88. So, um, in I think. And like you said, that that was the last time uh, that that the Buckeyes uh, did fall to the Hoosiers. But um, really appreciate the time, Jeremy, and uh, taking a look at this matchup. And uh, before we let you go, uh, tell our listeners how how they can uh, view your or not view, but you know read read your work there um, with the Herald Times in Bloomington. I don't know. We may have lost Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy, are you there? For some reason, we can't hear Jeremy now, but uh, nothing like a live show. But Jeremy's awesome and uh, appreciate all that. Uh, I tell you what, man, they, Bubba, these uh, sports writers work really hard and uh, these beat writers. And I don't think people realize how hard uh, it is uh, to cover a program. You're always, it's like, hurry up and wait. And we, we know guys personally to do it, and uh, Jeremy's the one of the newer ones now that we've had on. Uh, it's going to be a big matchup uh, there with, uh, no doubt about it, Ohio State and Indiana. That's going to be one of the games I'll be looking at uh, tomorrow. And uh, Bubba, it's uh, another great show, Inside Slant, as we look at the college football preview. And uh, week 12, the Pirates are taking on Temple. High noon, ESPN Plus tomorrow. And so that should be a great matchup. Look forward to that. And uh, what are you uh, what are you going to be watching tomorrow, Bubba? Obviously the East Carolina game, but beyond that, yeah, another matchup on the, that App State um, Coastal Carolina matchup down in Conway. Um, Chanticleer is just a storybook season thus far, ranked fifteenth. Um, kind of a bit of a role reversal you would expect. App State, uh, if if either yeah. team to, to be ranked uh, in this matchup, you would expect the Mountaineers to be ranked 15th. But very interested to see uh, how that one transpires tomorrow. Uh, Zach Thomas got knocked out against Georgia State. And uh, the word is, and what I'm hearing is that uh, he will probably play. Very interested to see whether that is the case. If he doesn't, then i really like the Shauna Clears to – to win um, if, if he does play uh, I think we'll have a four quarter football game um, very maybe not necessarily as low scoring but uh, competitive like that App State Marshall game was back early in the season 17 to 10 but um, I, I do think there will be more points for sure the, these two programs last year App State won I think it was 55 or 56 37 and um I, th I believe, Dave, here in just a moment, uh, Alan Blondin, who we had on a few weeks back to preview Coastal Carolina's 51-nothing uh, win, as it turned out, at Georgia State. Um, I believe he's going to be able to check in with us and preview this matchup against the Mountaineers on tomorrow, um, a game that's going to be um, at, at noon, like I said, in, in Conway. I'll tell you one thing, Bubba. You, you talk about, uh, I guess this show has been, uh, that's another great example, the Chanticleers, uh, Coastal Carolina, Conway, the Myrtle Beach area, and you take a program that they took their licks, and then they have really, really uh, climbed the ladder, so to speak, and uh, definitely a great matchup. We talked earlier with Damian Sortelette there, uh, Jeremy with, uh, as far as Indiana, 
they've really climbed. There's uh, some great stories in college football, and you always see that. But it seems, I guess, that it's even hyper, even more, so to speak, because of uh, COVID-19. And what else are you going to do? <laughs> uh, you're going to go to a, a big box store and get you some stuff. Uh, maybe you're going to order some some pizza, uh, drink some adult pirate beverages, so to speak. But there's not a lot to do. And so for the weekends, except for maybe uh, watching sports, uh, Bubba always has, I don't have to worry about that. He has a honeydew list to do, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, great dad that he is. Uh, Riley always has like several baseball games uh, in a weekend. Um, but certainly the uh, college football I know is number one or not number one. I shouldn't say it like that, but it's uh, definitely high on your list, right? Yeah, outside of the things that matter the most, uh, college football. Uh, and uh, right, I, I started chiming right, in earlier. Get you in trouble. One of the guests uh, just you can definitely not uh, have too much college football. I believe it was Ryan Abraham. You mentioned that as far as watching the uh, late night games with the Pac-12, but uh, certainly uh, take in as much yeah. as I can. Do you and, and, and Kyle, do you and Kyle have a bet to see who can stay up the latest and who can watch the most games? Is there like a over under we're going to watch 15 games or we're going to watch 12 games or, um, hey, uh, Kyle, I stayed up to 2.32 a.m. or what? I mean, uh, is, that, is that a possibility? No, but um, Kyle certainly has gotten the best of me this year in terms of uh, staying up later to watch games. Uh, I've um, I've been – you know, I've been uh, knocking out, uh, you know, much earlier. No, no doubt about it. And uh, certainly uh, you've been working hard, Bubba. We've had so much content over the last few weeks, uh, our normal football week stuff uh, with Inside Slant and the playback, uh, Pirate Preview, Pirate Playback, all the press conferences, and then we've had a Division One college basketball preview obviously i know it's a football show but we've had that the marshall tribute uh turned out great thanks bubba for that uh so a lot of stuff that's been happening over the last couple weeks and uh no doubt i understand exactly why you're tired because of all your commitments being a husband being a father working a full-time job i i know that uh, people don't realize uh all that you do all that we do behind the scenes to do everything that takes a lot of time. And I appreciate you uh, very much for that. Is he going to be able to, is Alan going to be able to join us? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Okay. All right. Well, certainly, uh, by the way, fans, while we have a moment, I want to remind you of uh, pirate fans. Well, if you're not a pirate fan, you still want to give East Carolina. Hey, I'm not, we're not going to turn your money down, uh, but go to ecupirates.com. It's the We Believe campaign going on now until December 30, 31st. And I'm sure they'll take it afterwards, but they're trying to get it in as much as they can for those of you that have uh, for tax purposes and certainly a sense of urgency. Uh, please make sure that you uh, call uh, call them on Monday, 252-737-4540. They'll take your pledge and your donation uh, that way or you can simply, again, go anytime to ecupirates.com and on there it'll be the We Believe campaign. And um, I know they've raised over 300000 as of two days ago. So we'll see how they do. And um, be nice to, if a whole bunch of people can give $25, $50, $20, 
Um, that is where the uh, bread and butter of Pirate Nation is. And uh, we hope that I know we've been talking about a lot of different ball games, but obviously the game tomorrow, high noon. If you want Coach Houston to be successful, um, then get behind the get behind the campaign of we believe to get us out of debt. We could be right now. Uh, we're hearing. Uh, I know that Ryan Robinson said on PRL, I believe, twenty million dollars in debt um, as estimations, and so they have a really tough time right now. But let's give as much as we can. I know uh, there's a lot of Pirate fans that are hurting right now. We understand that. But you don't have to give thousands of dollars if you don't have it. Give the $10. Give the $20. Give you know, Go without Netflix for a couple months. Whatever you, craziness that you have to do, if that's what you have to do to give it to the Pirates, um, then do it. There's a lot of people that want to see the Pirates turn it around very fast. Um, but without the money, they're not going to be able to compete Um as fast as we would like it. So make sure that you do that. Uh, help with the We Believe campaign. Again, 252-737-4540. They are able to answer your questions. Business hours Monday through Friday in the Pirate Club. Um, or you can simply go again to ecupirates.com. It's going to be a great game on ESPN+. Plus. want to remind you fans, uh, those that are w- watching live tonight and maybe you're listening early on Saturday morning, don't forget to get, if you don't have it, ESPN Plus is awesome. A lot of great, speaking of content, my goodness, they have so much for only $4.99 a month. And some of you, like Bubba and I, have families. So you can get the bundle. There's ESPN Plus. You have Hulu and Disney Plus. I believe it's $12.99. It is ads in there. But you know what? Um, for You make everybody in the family happy. The wife probably will watch Hulu, the kids, Disney Plus. And you get ESPN Plus. Again, I believe it's twelve ninety nine. I love streaming. It's a big deal for me. So uh, again, ESPN Plus is a great app. And uh, for if you're looking just for ESPN alone, it's four ninety nine a month, sixty dollars for a whole bunch of games that normally would we would have never had those games in the past in recent times, much less uh, going way way back. So make sure that you check that out. Again, ESPN Plus. For a lot of games, including the East Carolina Temple game, high noon tomorrow, and the Battle of the Cheesesteaks. <laughs> uh, I love to eat cheesesteaks uh, for sure. And uh, maybe the Pirates can actually win in uh, Philly. We'll see about that. And uh, anyway, I don't think that we're going to be able to get Allen on. Uh, so we'll have uh, a lot of great content coming up for you. We told you about the stuff that's already archived on our Facebook page. And on our YouTube channel, you can check that out. Plus, oh, my goodness, we've got a big uh, – we're going to have Corey Glore and Mac McCarthy soon. Uh, we've got the Pirate playback and, of course, the Mike Houston postgame press conference tomorrow after the game. And so much coming up. So please join us for that. Thanks to all our great guests. Bubba Rosenbaum putting the show together. You've been watching and listening to the Inside Slant right here on the Sports Objective. Good night, everybody. <laughs>